Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. Big Ben likely retiring at the end of the season. The Cavaliers have made a trade for a guard to replace Ricky Rubio. Plus, can Alabama win another national championship? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. After speculation all season that this would be it for Ben Roethlisberger, he essentially confirmed that it in fact would be saying it feels like it will be his last game at Heinz Field. Joining me now from Locked On Steelers, it's Chris Carter. And Chris, this is something you and I have talked about on this show in the past, the succession plan, all of that stuff. And we will have plenty of time to get to all of that. I feel like the way that his career is ending is going to color our judgment of Ben Roethlisberger in the short term, but long-term, what do you think his legacy will be? I mean, still a Super Bowl champion quarterback. The Pittsburgh Steelers have six Super Bowls in the history. That's still the most in the NFL uh, tied with the Patriots. But, you know, four of those came from Terry Bradshaw in the 70s. The other two came from Ben Roethlisberger in the 2000s. And then he still has pushed his way up into the top 10 of uh, passing yards, like a bunch of passing statistics. He's still been a guy that has, you know, he's up there. I think he's now, what, number three or four all time in game winning uh, touchdown drives or game winning drives, period. Uh, He's done everything he can to try and, you know, make a mark on the Pittsburgh Steelers legacy. Um, Been to three Super Bowls, one, two. Um, and, you know, we, along with Mike Tomlin never having a losing record, neither has Ben Roethlisberger, although technically you could use his 0-2 starting record when he got injured back in 2019 to, to, to wipe that out. But any season that he's played a full year in, the Steelers have remained competitive. Um, you know, beyond anything else, you, you look at just how consistent he's been to produce each, each year, even in these last couple of seasons where – he hasn't been great. You can at least rely on him in the clutch. And that's what Steelers fans will remember is just, you know, Super Bowl 43, throwing that touchdown pass to San Antonio Holmes, uh, you know, Christmas Day against the Ravens to get, get them in, to win the division when he hits Antonio Brown and Brown's like right at the end zone and he reaches over. Ben Roethlisberger's had so many moments of like that, like that in his career. And to me, that's what's going to define his legacy. Yeah, the throw to San Antonio Holmes is still one of the most unbelievable throws regardless of situation. And then when you add in the stakes and everything, it was also the last game John Madden called was that Super Bowl. So there is that, that dual legacy. I saw the clip again because of all the John Madden tributes. Uh, I, I do wonder um, as, as um, we have, as society changes, how the off field issues that he had, the suspension and, and the sexual assault allegations, how that will color how we remember Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, it's something that some people in Pittsburgh have not let go of. Uh, a lot of fans have kind of been, well, the charges, you know, they, ne- they never came to charges. There were, you know, settlements or whatever that happened away from it. So, you know, that never got to light. But, you know, the story around Pittsburgh has always been like the Rooney's told him after the second incident where there were, you know, potential you know, allegations and there was a potential case that could have been worked out. It's basically like, if you mess up again, you're gone. And since then, you know, Ben Roethlisberger went and got his degree at Miami of Ohio. He got married. He's a family man now. He even talked about the other year uh, how, like, you know, he's had to reaffirm his life and, you know, try to, you know, works, you know, in more faith-based programs to try and, you know, focus his career or focus his life to be, to be more along that lines that he wants to be. So it's something that I think will forever follow him it'll be something that someone always talks about but you know it's been I mean that the last accusation was what 2010 2011 that's 10 years ago now 
and he's been able to play. He hasn't had a suspension since that. So I, I think in the long run, it'll be something that people like you and myself will remember because we were there and we were talking about it and we all, we knew it was an issue and it it's certainly a big issue at a time where if, if that had been five, five years later, a few years later, maybe it doesn't play out the way it did because you right. saw what happened with Ray Rice and all the other situations in the NFL, right. but just where it is right. You know, right now it's like, it was early enough, I guess, in the NFL's tenure of dealing with domestic violence and things like that, that it, it kind of, it kind of got washed away. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to have a laugh when you, when he gets his bronze, his, his bronze uh, bust, that's going to go into Canton because he will go in there someday. Um, it, it, I don't think you'll be hearing too much of that conversation. Thanks for making Locked On today your first listen of the day. Coming up, the Cleveland Cavaliers have said they want to win now by trading for Rajon Rondo. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. 15 finalists have been named for the 2022 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Andre Johnson, Demarcus Ware, and Devin Hester headline a class that also includes Reggie Wayne, Richard Seymour, Willie Anderson, and Leroy Butler. As many as five of the finalists will be selected next month for the Hall's class of 2022. The class of 2022 enshrinement ceremony in Canton is expected to be in August, but specific dates have yet to be announced. The top-ranked South Carolina women's basketball team lost its first game of the season, falling 70-69 in overtime at Missouri on Thursday in both schools' SEC opener. It was the Tigers' first win over a number one team in the Associated Press poll. They previously were 0-8 in such matchups. The Gamecocks had not lost since the national semifinals last season when they fell to eventual champion Stanford 66-65 in San Antonio. James Harden went for a triple-double, but it wasn't enough to stop the Sixers from beating the Nets. Doug Norrie, Locked On Nets here, coming at you following a 110-102 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers at home for the Nets. They struggle with Joel Embiid all night on the defensive end. They waste a triple-double by James Harden, 33 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, in a game that this one you know, might come back to bite them a little bit later. The offense really stagnated late at just the worst time. They had trouble with spacing, trouble getting up good shots against the Philly team, who that's usually their struggle, but uh, the uh, tables were turned in some respect in this game. Things got a little chippy at the end between Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant as well. And the Panthers put up nine goals. Yes, nine goals on the Lightning to make it back-to-back wins since returning from the break. And how about a nine spot for the Florida Panthers against their state rival, Tampa Bay Lightning? What is up, guys? This is Armando Velez from the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast. And the Florida Panthers have defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning by a final score of 9-3 to in Sunrise, Florida in their third regular season matchup between the Cats and the Bolts. Though the Tampa Bay Lightning were shorthanded on both their goalies, Mikhail Sergachev and Anthony Sorelli, the notables, the Florida Panthers were not going to feel sorry for anyone, whoever they were facing, no matter who steps on the ice for the opposition. And this game was led by Jonathan Huberto with five points. Anthony Duclair gets two goals in this one where he has two opportunities for players to make stretch passes and for him to finish all alone uh, on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, 
the, the Florida Panthers also get a shorthanded goal in this one, a power play goal in this one. The goals came from everywhere. Goals came off rebounds as well. So many rebounds. Rebound control was the issue for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, of course, the situation at hand with not having the goaltenders in net does factor in. But, again, the Florida Panthers are not going to be sorry for whoever they play. That's what happened last night. Here's what to look for coming up on betonline.ag, your number one spot for all your college football action this season and all your pro football action for that matter. There is plenty to gamble on when it comes to the college football playoff. The Crimson Tide are favored over the Bearcats in the first game. Bet Online has Alabama laying 14 against Cincinnati. The later game between the Wolverines and the Bulldogs, a bit closer. BetOnline.ag is sticking with the SEC, that one favoring Georgia by 7.5 over Michigan. And to win it all, you want futures? Alabama plus 120, Georgia plus 150, Michigan plus 550, Cincinnati plus 1100. For all your gambling needs, betonline.ag has you covered. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to get a 50% welcome bonus. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on to get that bonus. Here is another story you need to know. Just a day after the Cleveland Cavaliers announced Ricky Rubio would be out for the year with a torn ACL injury, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN reports. The Cavs are acquiring Rajon Rondo from the L.A. Lakers to fill that point guard spot. Joining me now from Locked on Cavs, it's Chris Manning. And Chris, when I saw this, it said it said to me that the Cavs think we have a chance to go for this here. Now, I don't know what go for it means right now. What do you think it means? Because it does seem like they are whatever going for it means, they're doing it. It seems to me that they look at what they got with Ruby and were like, we clearly needed that veteran guy who's going to bring us stability and help run a second unit. And we just like absolutely need that guy. And we feel like this is the best guy to go do it. I, I think I, it caught me off guard just because I think Rubio, Rubio in a lot of ways is like the, the positive version of like the, the negative version of Rondo Rondo. I, like obviously he was on a title team like two years ago, right? <laughs> like this isn't a guy that can't provide you nothing, but he's going to play at his own pace. Rubio played with this very kinetic, like he's going to feed into everyone and kind of make everyone go around better. Is Rondo going to come in and do that? Or is he going to do what Rondo typically has done historically done and like kind of drag things out at his own pace. Like, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's a bet. I get it. They're just absorbing Rondo into an, a trade exception that they weren't going to do anything else with. I don't think they're giving up anything of value to get him. I get it on a flyer. It's just, a, it's a little odd to me, but I can understand how they would get there to do this. The other thing is, what does it mean for the other guys? Because Evan Mobley has, has shined, frankly, as a facilitator, um, it's not like Darius Garland is the second coming of Steve Nash, but he certainly is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So I think that question of, okay, what is he going to do here is a good one. The other part of it, though, Chris, is Ru- Ricky Rubio was on this team in part because he's a veteran. Rajon Rondo, as you mentioned, won a title two years ago. He has been through that. So what do you think his value could be as someone who is going to say, this is how this is done? Because this is a young Cavs team. Yeah, I, I think the hope if you're Cleveland is that, you know, you're going to get Rondo who, you know, I think by all accounts, even if he is kind of a curmudgeon, let's say, and, you know, like he's been historically a very kind of interesting figure to consider in the NBA to kind of put it mildly, like he's a guy that teammates like, and he probably will have, like if Darius Garland, you know, can learn something from him, that's not a bad thing. You know, if he can, can kind of help Evan Mobley continue to learn how to be a pro, that is not a bad thing here. I think, 
you know, will it be the same as Rubio? No, their energies are very different. Their kind of vibes are very, very different. But he can be a guy that can come in and do that. The question I think that you you hit on will be, A, how does this impact kind of what they're doing with, with Evan Mobley, I think, in particular? And B, you know, does this become something where he's kind of filling in the Rubio's exact role? Or is he going to be filling in part of it where Mobley gets a chance to do more and perhaps Isaac Okoro or Darius Garland gets a chance to do more too? Because I think that is the more pragmatic solution but i could absolutely see a world where jb bickerstaff looks at rick rajon rondo nba champion you know one of the smartest basketball players that has played in the last 20 years and goes all in on that guy and trusts him even if you can tell that there is some negative there and he's not rubio but i could see him being really leaned on the rest of the way here um at at the very least it's going to be really wild to kind of watch this kind of play out and it's going to be very weird to see rajon rondo and whatever number he wears in a Cavs jersey um, frankly, this feels like Coachella 2035, like guaranteed got to be there. We just buy like the black one and whatever number it is, just buy it. It'll look great on your kid if they go to Coachella in like 20 years. Coming up, their perennial playoff contenders in college football and Alabama is back. And guess what? They're favored again. Can they pull off a national championship win or will they be a footnote in the magical season of the Cincinnati Bears? Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And if you don't believe me, you have to try it for yourself. I'm going to be honest. I didn't believe it either. But then I had the chance to try it. And it changed my whole perspective on Built Bar because... This really is unlike anything I've ever tried in the space. It's not even close. I've never had any protein bar. And and trust me, as someone who has played sports his entire life, who has gone on every diet plan, who has tried every workout plan, I am always trying to find something that tastes delicious, that also gives me something healthy to help with my workouts. I've been active and an athlete my whole life, not on an NFL level, but on just a normal human being trying to stay in shape and do their part level. And the only thing I've ever found that makes me feel happy when I eat it is Bilt Bar. And that separates Bilt Bar from anything else out there on the market. And they have a slew of flavors. They have the decadent, double chocolate, coconut brownie, uh, salted caramel, plus Fruit flavors, if that's what you're into, raspberry, cherry barcia, so many options for you out there. They've got a marshmallow set right now. And let me tell you, the marshmallow treats are incredible. If you don't believe me, go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order at built.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the day. Death, taxes, and Alabama favored in late December, early January. That's what's happening as the college football playoff gets set to get underway. Bama is 13 and a half point favorites against Cincy. Joining me now from Locked on Bama, Luke Robinson. And Luke, this is a a team that is used to being the villain. They're used to being the Death Star. Um, But it is a little different because... The, the, the college football playoff has embraced the little guy in this one, in Cincy, and that's the team that Alabama faced. It seems like it's even more ratcheted up in this game. It does seem a little overwhelming, but I would I would make the argument, too, 
that Cincinnati, in a way, may be taking the bad guy mantle from Alabama this particular time because there are folks out there like me um, who are – I'm pretty staunch against the 12-team expansion. I mean, I understand expansions coming, um, so I, I can live with it. But I love the way college football regular season is, that, that all the games seem to matter a lot more. They're a heck of a lot more important than any of the professional regular season games. So yeah. I, I love that. And even college basketball. So I, I've always loved that. So Cincinnati's inclusion is probably one of those things where a lot of the um, the fans of the Power Five are probably like, hey, yeah, we can't cheer for them to win because if they win, that means we should be winning because we have more resources, <laughs> more money, and uh, it's going to look bad for us. So I, I think Cincinnati may actually be the bad guy here. I'm probably wishful I, thinking there, but that's okay. I, well, no, I'm sure there are certainly going to be some fan bases who are going, wait, if they could do it, what the what the heck? And and this certainly could prime Luke Fickle to to elevate himself in the college football world in terms of his next job. But maybe he goes out and proves, hey, we're we're gonna hang with Alabama and Cincinnati is a place that that we can win. I don't want to look past that part of the game, but we have Georgia and Michigan on the other side. Let's say Georgia goes out. Let's say Alabama takes care of business and Georgia goes out and beats Michigan. Is there something you could see from either one of those teams that would make you, from a, an Alabama perspective, a little bit more nervous about what would happen in the national title game? Well, I'm nervous about the Cincinnati game, to be honest with you. I mean, Alabama's got some flaws. Uh, this is a great team, um, but it's not a great team necessarily by Nick Saban standards. If you were to stack them up, with, I mean, just let's go back to last year to 2020. I mean, I think last year's team would beat this team uh, pretty soundly, frankly, um, especially the offensive line being the biggest difference. The offensive line for this particular Alabama team is okay, uh, and it's it's better than most uh, in terms of the rest of the college football world. It's it probably ranks, you know, in the you know around nine or ten in terms of Nick Saban offensive lines while at Alabama, though. So it's got some flaws, it's got some holes, got some injuries. John Mechie's out, um, Jalen Armour Davis, Big game, one. game time decision, JoJo Earl, game time decision, um, two running scholarship running backs available in Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson, and then you're probably going to put Christian Leary, who's been playing wide receiver his whole time at Alabama, uh, back there to run some wheel routes or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's some places where Alabama's got holes. That being said, they do have the Heisman Trophy winner, and they do have who I think is the best player in college football in Will Anderson. I think he's um, amazing. I, I, I love him. He's fantastic. One of the best defenders Alabama's ever had, in my opinion. You need one Alabama quarterback to win one college football playoff game to a Tunga Vailoa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. Who are you picking? Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, number one, um, I know this is cheating, but I would need to know the surrounding cast. But let's say the surrounding cast is not Najee Harris. Uh, let's say it's not Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, and Jerry Judy. I'm probably going Bryce Young because I think he's got the most ice in his veins. Tua was great, right? Tua came in at halftime that Georgia game and just did his thing. And, Unbelievable. And, I mean, it, it still, I mean, it, it gives me chills as an Alabama fan. And I know other Alabama fans are that same way. Um, that last play was just unreal. Um, Mac was so deadly efficient and he's the perfect quarterback for New England right now and, and doing what he needs to do. But I think Bryce is the kind of guy 
that um, as Bear Bryant used to, they used to say about Bear Bryant, um, he can take his and beat yours, or you can take yours and beat his. He can do it either way you want to. Right. And I think that's the way Bryce Young is. I mean, Bryce Young is just, he's just deadly. And uh, in terms of stature, I mean, he's the the most slight of them all, but that's also kind of funny now that I think about it. Like nobody would confuse Tua Tungvaluwa, Mac Jones, or Bryce Young for like, oh, the prototypical NFL right. quarterback, right? They right. don't have a lot None of None of them look like Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence or right. Patrick Mahomes. Right. So it's kind of funny that, you know, Alabama's had some other guys that, that are uh, more fit the mold and they haven't been quite as good. These guys are just, it goes to show you how important accuracy is. And finally, most coaches get doused in Gatorade after a big win, or or maybe water. But when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Or in this case, Duke Mayo. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer led his team to an upset win over North Carolina in Duke's Mayo Bowl and got drenched in, yep, that's right, mayonnaise. It is everything I dreamed of, Beamer told ESPN's Taylor McGregor after the Mayo dousing. And if you haven't seen the video, you must go find it. The cooler got me in the back of the head, then the mayo, but it was awesome. It's a little heavy for sure. I'm weighted down here in the back. I feel like mayonnaise has never felt so good. I can promise you. I'm telling you, go find the video. Coming up on Monday, we look back on a crazy weekend of football. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today.